So it's almost the same thing, just instead of one bucket, it's an incredibly high number of buckets. And we call these ticks, basically, where you, the user, determine how many buckets you want to sit in or how wide you want your bucket. How wide do you want to cast your net? So that's the key difference is that you earn your fees based on the ticks that you are within or the boundaries you're within, this net that you're casting. Versus in a V2 pool, you have no choice on your range and you earn fees just like anyone else. But now you get to have more control, you have more customizability and actively manage your holdings so that you can earn fees within the range that you wish it to be. The smaller you put it and the more that you're actually at the right tick, you will earn more fees because of that. So it's much more of an advantage for active users. Hey everyone, wherever you are, I hope you're having a wonderful week so far. We have the latest episode of the Inside Crypto Show, interviews and discussions with regular people just like yourselves. Today, we are joined by Aaron Kong, who is a growth and strategy contributor at Osmosis, where he spearheads growth initiatives and forward strategy. Osmosis is an app chain that serves as a DeFi hub for the Cosmos ecosystem. You should go back and check out a few of the Cosmos guests we have talked to in the past. To date, the Osmosis Dex has facilitated over $21 billion in trading volume. That is a lot of money. And more than 50 separate blockchains have connected to the Osmosis app chain. Before we dive into it, Aaron, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks for the intro. I guess on the Osmosis side, I'm internally the chief of staff, but also I work on a lot of the growth and strategy efforts. This is a lot of BD, a lot of the relations with all the ecosystem partners and a lot of the community efforts. Also, a lot of the events that we curate, I also have a hand in. So a little bit of everything. I fill in all the cracks. Aaron, when did you get into crypto and what was that thing that prompted you? I got in around 2017. I was heading over to Japan to work and I was going to work as a teacher, which is pretty common. It's like one of the easiest ways to get a visa. Otherwise, you can't really get over there. And I really wanted to live in Japan. Before I got over there, I was exposed to Ethereum and Bitcoin, and a lot of my friends were diving in. I knew about Bitcoin for a very long time, but I was exposed to Ethereum from a bunch of friends that are all nerds and gamers, and a lot of my background is in gaming. I was formerly a professional video gamer in World of Warcraft. Back in 2010 through 2011-ish, my team was ranked one in the world in World of Warcraft, so... I kind of naturally fall into this digital world and this digital economy and World of Warcraft was a lot of that. And I really like that. It has similarities. Obviously, crypto isn't necessarily a gaming industry. There are, of course, games in crypto. However, the way of interacting is very similar, whether through like servers, forums, platforms, discords. Back then, discord really wasn't a thing, but there was always a place to communicate and it was all digital people that I'd never met people that I had never been able to like personally connect with in real life, but to spend hundreds of hours with in a video game online. And I think some of my greatest friends to this day are still from video games. I really find this exciting digital world to have some similarities to a game that I was addicted to. And it's kind of part of my passion. Nice. Let's go a little bit off topic here before we dive into osmosis and cosmos is like, so in Asia, gaming and crypto have crossed hands and it's like people pay for games and skins and various yeah. things in games for a long time. And you mentioned you're a lifelong mm -hmm. gamer. I played the closed beta of WoW way back in the day. 
And, and as crypto came about and blockchain gaming and that sort of stuff, so many gamers are against it. And I was wondering, like you being the passionate gamer and someone experienced, what's your thoughts about the intersection of gaming and crypto and how does that play well, out in the West? Really, I haven't really heard that many gamers are against crypto, actually. I've never heard really? this ever. Like NFTs and gaming, it's like all over a PC gamer. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Well, I don't I do not think that PC Gamer and Kotaku and these outlets actually speak for the people, the gamers, accurately. If you see right now the Baldur's Gate 3 dilemma, like every single gaming company, AAA company, is saying Baldur's Gate is bad health for the company when everyone else, all the gamers, are applauding it because it's doing something that no one else has done in recent years, which is basically putting out a very good game without putting in little microtransactions. And everyone is trying to spin this narrative against Baldur's Gate, but the audience, the gamer base is very supportive. I think NFTs are very overplayed. And at the same time, like anything that's a money grab will have some voices against it. And NFTs can certainly be a money grab. So yeah, I can see people saying NFTs are just a money grab in video game. But if it's like a truly done NFT, for example, like you have a very unique item that is one sword and only one of these swords in the whole game can be produced and potentially there's a game that collaborates across games and then you can send this nft across games and then it's a new item on a new game but it's now gone in the former game like this might make sense but like nfts just to make money which is not uncommon i can definitely see some outrage against that but i think the general way of using crypto as an economic tool has never had any backlash against the in gaming or at least significant backlash. True. No, no, I agree. And that's a very valid point. We've got to mm. talk about Cosmos and I've got to talk about this story first. And you've seen it as well, right? Is people or, or some media personalities have said Cosmos is in trouble. Let's make or break in 2023. We haven't had a Cosmos guest on in a while, so you can fill us in on Cosmos and Osmosis as well, because you guys are tied at the hip in a sense. Being on the inside, right? What is actually happening? Yeah, so that article came out. It's like a very spun out of context article. Everyone's aware of it. I believe it's spun from Zaki's comment from a very long time ago, and then they just resurfaced it. And obviously right now, like crypto journalists and writers are struggling. It's a difficult time for the writers with all the outlets that are being bought out or sold. And then they're worried about their work. They should, I don't blame them, but like um, finding something very juicy to write about does make sense. Now, Zaki's kind of point is from maybe six months ago, basically, hey, like Cosmos needs to do something and it needs to do something fast. And the thing is, Cosmos was doing something. And when I say Cosmos, I don't mean Cosmos Hub, top 20-ish coin atom. Cosmos, the ecosystem, the tech stack, the community in Cosmos, which is around a hundred different chains and definitely a hundred chains should be launched by the end of the year. So it's still one of the fastest growing ecosystems with one of the largest community base that is sticky. The community here is generally here to stay. But back to Zaki and what he said is there needs to be development. There needs to be infrastructure. There needs to be this booming ecosystem of apps and users. And right now that is happening. There are a lot of things happening that need to be in place to fill this vision, whether it's like a native stablecoin, 
Six months ago, there were not any native stable coins. This month, USDT Tether is now native with Kava. And USDC sometime next month, probably, or at wow. least by the latest October, USDC should be live with Noble. And having a robust stablecoin is arguably the single largest thing to get an ecosystem running. We got this far without any native stablecoins that are like one of the big ones. We've had USDT bridged over. We've had USDC bridged over. We've had DAI bridged over, but none of these things are stable. These two months, there will be two native stablecoins, formerly none for over a year and a half, aside from UST. I think everyone knows that story there. But at the same time, a lot of the apps are finally launching in the Cosmos ecosystem now. Whether it's like Levana and Perpetuals, whether it's Quasar and Vault, whether it's Mars and Lending, Nolas and Credits, these things are all very recent. These things were all launched after Zaki made a comment, and Zaki himself said that comment was taken out of context, and I think those journalists knew what they were doing. But the infrastructure is there, the funding is there, the stablecoins are now going to be here, officially, this time, especially with USDC, it is finally coming, and the apps are all launching, and there are many more apps coming, and also with projects like DYDX and Wormhole and Celestia, they are all coming and Wormhole is here. DYDX in the next few months, Celestia in the next few months. These are some of the biggest players that will come and they are all coming right around the same time. So yeah, everything is hitting stride right now for the ecosystem as a whole. And for Osmosis specifically, we are about to make some very big changes that are already, you know, pretty far along. So I think I can understand how someone would be able to write about it just because there are hurdles, like a lot of the money and user base is much more organic. Marketing is generally not paid for from a lot of these projects. The growth strategies are generally not like influencer based or like paying for users to come. A lot of the growth from, let's say, projects like Polygon, and they've had incredible growth. They've had incredible recognition in outlets and across institutions, across these big companies that are making partnerships. But the user base and the use of apps on Polygon aren't necessarily reflective of everything you're hearing about Polygon in the media. So I think it's a much more marathon turtle-like approach versus a hair-like approach. That is an amazing explanation. Like all these other questions I had, Aaron, I was like, okay, I'm going to ask Aaron this and you just <laughs> answered it. You mentioned Osmosis, right? And I think let's jump into it. I would say half of our audience actually knows who Osmosis is. But for those who don't, I was wondering if you could break it down in a simple way. Who is Osmosis and what do you guys do? Yeah, so Osmosis, and maybe we can start from the beginning. A lot of the founders and team members came from the original Tenderman team, the creators of Cosmos, the tech stack. And the reason they came together to make Osmosis was this vision to have essentially liquidity from anywhere to anywhere. And the goal is that not only is this liquidity available anywhere, but it is easily accessible with a one-click swap from anywhere to anywhere. Whether you want to go from Ethereum, route through Osmosis, 
and go to Avalanche in a single click, this should all be possible. Whether this might involve multiple technologies, of course, but these technologies are implemented and integrated with Osmosis eventually. And just a single click, you just have some kind of UI on Ethereum pop up. You're like, oh, I want to go to Avalanche. And you don't even necessarily need to know that Osmosis is allowing this. But at the same time, Osmosis will facilitate as this intermediary. And you can see the routing. So you can be like, Ethereum through Squid to Axelar to Osmosis, back to Axelar, back to Squid to Avalanche. And no users don't need to care about this source. They just care about where their assets go. And that is very good UX, right? So yeah, the original vision is just like this liquidity anywhere to anywhere from anywhere, but also having the best UX and being this DeFi hub and the greatest decks in all of crypto. And being on Cosmos is one of the keys here because the customizability is uh, a powerful asset to have so that Osmosis can grow and customize itself as it wishes versus if you're building on Ethereum, you're at the whim of Ethereum. Also, there's a reason why projects like DYDX are choosing to leave Ethereum and migrate to the Cosmos technology. A lot more freedom. They have a lot more customizability and they want to be truly decentralized. Now, I'm not sure how this will go in terms of the users that are so accustomed to being on Ethereum and maybe they want to stay. And the thing is like users on Ethereum, these power users do not care about transaction fees that might cost $100 because these are largely a lot of whales or institutions and these are small costs to them. But if you really want to capture retail, the masses or users in countries that have 10% of the household income to an income in the USA, you have to work on a stack that allows for cheap fees. And Cosmos is definitely the best for that. Okay. You mentioned Osmosis, liquidity everywhere. You've talked about some interesting concepts that we've talked about on the podcast before. This is a general crypto concept, account abstraction, right? But do you see Osmosis in the future being a place where all the crypto terminology, the wallet keys, the seed phrases, all that terminology is gone? And it's yeah. just, my name is Tom. I live in Santa Monica and I want to swap my USDC for F and that's it. There is no complex terminology, there's no processing transactions, click, click, click. Is that something that Osmosis is thinking about or doing? Or are you just going to stay with the current sort of mechanism and system of doing things? Yeah, so we are allocating significant bandwidth to work on account abstraction so that, again, we want to have the best user experience in all of crypto. We think that is what will bring the next wave of users or one of the big factors, right? Users don't want to do with wallets, 24 words they have to store forever, potentially lose, and maybe they move houses or they forget where they stored it or they split it in two and they have no idea where they kept their other half. And this maybe happened to me. This is not good UX, right? And it's not quick UX. And users that are accustomed to quick onboarding, all these financial apps have now integrated Plaid or Plaid, however you pronounce it. And this is the easiest login for your financial services, whether it's like your login in from Fidelity, you connect your bank accounts in two seconds with Plaid. And sometimes you have to verify the deposit with one or two pennies, and then you go and confirm that you receive one or two pennies. 
this was not good UX and now they've expedited this with Plaid. So if, if Osmosis can do this for users, users can onboard with potentially phone number, email, Google login. I'm not the account extraction expert, so don't quote me on any of the specifics, but there should be way more ease in onboarding as a user in the future. Nice. Speaking about Uniswap, and again, along the idea of making things easier for users, making things easier for the next generation of crypto users. And I want to call out one thing that you've said here is that you guys, Cosmos being like potentially the best sort of platform for retail users, which I think is awesome because I got into crypto from Ethereum and I definitely think Ethereum is definitely morphed into something for institutions and big players. And it irritates me a little bit, but that's not the story. But Uniswap a few months ago, or like last month, said, hey, we're going to have gasless transactions in the future. And again, that's another irritating thing, right? If you're doing a transaction on this platform, you need this particular token to pay this gas fee, or you need this to pay this gas fee. And potentially all of that's going to be happening on the back end of the future. And again, the last time I'll mention this is we're not going to be comparing osmosis to other stuff, but I just want to know, it's like, you've mentioned account abstraction, right? There is significant bandwidth, but beyond just that, right? Are there other things that you guys are spending time on to sort of onboard the next group of crypto users into? There's a lot of infrastructure being pushed, right? Whether it's the fiat on-ramping, whether it's working with Hato or onramp.money is a company that provides access over in India, Mexico, Turkey, and the UAE, I believe. Mexico might not be out yet, but I would believe that's one of their. So making sure users from anywhere in the world, any country in the world, any demographic in the world can onboard with just a few dollars. This is key because in Uniswap, if you want to onboard with a few dollars, you can't do that. But to use Osmosis, you don't need more than just a few dollars. Obviously, there are differences in what you can earn with incentives potentially, but a few dollars, you can test it out. You can join a general classic, which is like a V2 liquidity pool. You can join a supercharged liquidity pool, which is our version of the concentrated liquidity pools. And then you can try out all the apps on Osmosis, whether it's like Mars, you can join for just a few dollars. I know I tested out with only $5. I believe I got liquidated because I never checked it, but still like it was fun to try out because there's very little barrier and transactions are done in seconds versus 10 minutes, sometimes 30 minutes, depending on how congested things are over on Ethereum. The retail experience should be much more friendly on Osmosis and the Cosmos as a whole. But yeah, having that infrastructure there is very key on top of account abstraction, making sure developers can build easily on Osmosis. They have all the documentation they need. They can reach out to our team. I think that's a very key thing is a developer team needs to be able to be reached and communicated with. They're not just some faraway team that cannot be contacted, that is sitting on some pedestal working on their code. No, there should be a lot of community that can, can communicate with them. There should be a lot of like small developers, one or two member teams that are excited, that want to build and they go and build something and they launch it and they are able to communicate with the team and say, Hey, like this was built. Do you guys have any feedback for us? How can we improve? Or sometimes these teams get grants. One of these teams built out this amazing dashboard or analytics tool with just token info, pool info for osmosis. And they worked on this for an entire year and then just came out of nowhere and just launched and they just posted on Twitter and said, Hey, like we built this and it was so great. We're actually like in contact with them because I think community 
contributions are incredibly key. Some of the most motivated people out there to work on osmosis are in the community just because they're obsessed with it. This is how I got into osmosis as well. I was in the community and the tools to onboard were relatively available. This was like in the very beginning. So everything was very new back then, but the community helped me onboard. I was so excited. I just kept helping every single person. So I think the vampire approach is relevant. I think the community is relevant. Sometimes teams don't really care about the community, but the community is what keeps the project alive. The community's voice matters. And I think that is also very key to onboarding new users is having a community. So these new users feel like they belong somewhere and they truly do belong somewhere. Nice. I like that. Aaron, you hit on, on a key point, right? Supercharged liquidity, which is something you guys released pretty recently or concentrated liquidity for people who might know that term. Really interesting. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about it and how it differs from concentrated liquidity, if there is a difference. Yeah, so classic pools or V2 pools, which is like Uniswap V2, have similarities to Uniswap V3 or our version of supercharged liquidity pools. So a V2 classic pool is essentially this gigantic bucket. And this bucket is filled with one asset on one half and then another asset on another half. Now, at all times, the ratio of value is always going to be 50-50 no matter what, assuming it's a 50-50 pool. But this doesn't mean there are 50 pieces of gold and 50 pieces of silver. In the beginning, it could be 50 of each. And then as people add some gold and remove some silver or add silver and add some gold, but maybe more of gold, these ratios become imbalanced. This is how price is determined in a V2 pool because the ratio is what the price is. It's the price of gold versus silver, not gold versus the dollar. Now, of course, if silver is worth $1, you can take the ratio of gold to silver and determine the price of gold this way. Now, the thing with V2 pools is that it is exposed to much more price risk. So basically, if you take the example of UST or Luna, and if you pair it with a coin like Osmo and UST goes to zero, because the ratio and the price has to be 50-50, if UST goes to zero, Osmo goes to zero in that pool. So there are clearly some dangers here, clearly some risks, and there are benefits as well. This doesn't mean everything's perfect, but this is just one giant bucket with an infinite price range. This can go from zero to infinity. Now, if you want to take a V3 pool or supercharged liquidity pool, the key difference is that these pools are essentially an infinite amount of these buckets. So it's almost the same thing, just instead of one bucket, it's an incredibly high number of buckets. And we call these ticks, basically, where you, the user, determine how many buckets you want to sit in or how wide you want your bucket. How wide do you want to cast your net? So that's the key difference is that you earn your fees based on the ticks that you are within or the boundaries you're within, this net that you're casting. Versus in a V2 pool, you have no choice on your range and you earn fees just like anyone else. But now you get to have more control, you have more customizability and actively manage your holdings 
so that you can earn fees within the range that you wish it to be. The smaller you put it and the more that you're actually at the right tick, you will earn more fees because of that. So it's much more of an advantage for active users. And also there will be unconcentrated liquidity and these vaults will essentially allow users to basically not have to deal with it themselves because they can become tedious. And these vaults just do it for you. So this is kind of what concentrated liquidity is. Nice. And that's awesome. I think that's very useful for people because, and especially if you're busy, vaults would definitely save you a lot of time. I think most people will likely use vaults. And the thing is like, vaults can outperform you. Uh, they have strategies and this is why there will be multiple vault providers and they'll compete with each other. And this is good because competition is good. But yeah, so vaults are the way to get your hands off things and save yourself some time and also potentially, not necessarily, do better than you would yourself. All right, Aaron, one of the things I wanted to mention as well is I saw you guys are doing a token refresh and you mentioned Polygon, right? And then everyone's quite aware that Matic is going to be poly at some point this year or next year. I think it's next year. Is there a reason why you guys are doing a token refresh on the Osmosis side? Yeah, so we're not renaming the token. The token is still going to be called Osmo. And the foundation, again, to be clear, the foundation does not determine the route on its own. Everything the foundation wants to do has to go through a governance process. And the foundation itself does not vote here. So we want to keep it decentralized. We want to have the community make the decisions, even if it's something presented by the foundation. And sometimes the foundation will present something and it actually does not pass votes. This is arguably a good thing because the community is very involved. If a name were to be changed, it would have to go through governance approval, of course. But this is not about any name changing at all. This was just about fixing the tokenomics to be at a level where it is much more efficient. So with a feature like supercharged liquidity coming out, you don't need as much of an incentive to join these pools because it's much more capital efficient by many magnitudes. So essentially this migration over to supercharged liquidity pools should allow for incentives to be much lower. Incentives formerly were very high just to like bootstrap liquidity, engage users, get users to add assets and earn themselves. But in an ideal future, you don't need any incentives at all because the fees generated should be sufficient. Yeah, right now, the tokenomics change, which has already gone through, was really to just get incentives more efficient and to get emissions much lower. That's great. And I think not only you guys, I think lots of people need to do that. The way tokenomics were established, like before the bear market, when people were very rosy and optimistic, not just about crypto, but I mean, about the global economy, things have changed a lot. And it, I don't think things are going to correct themselves anytime soon. So I think that's, if you're passionate about cosmos and osmosis, that's great. Like you guys are being very proactive in the way you're dealing with the ecosystem and looking towards the future, which is awesome. Aaron, I don't want to take up too much of your time. And you've said some amazing things today. You've talked about some really interesting things. Supercharged liquidity is something I've never had anyone explain it so nice and easy. Honestly, other people well, should the, take the cues. The reason why it makes sense is because I didn't fully understand it at one point. <laughs> and then one day it just clicked. I was like, wait, it's just like a million of these buckets. And they're like, yeah. I was like, oh, <laughs> so this is how I understood it. Very nice. 
So before we end up today's show, being someone in charge of growth and strategy, right? Is there anything that you wanted to say today that you haven't had a chance to say? What would you like to say to end off today's show, to talk to the audience, talk to people in Cosmos and Osmosis? Floor is yours. Yeah, so I guess if you're a user that you're keen on exploring the Osmosis ecosystem, the community will welcome you with open arms and hold you through any education or tutorials that you want to kind of explore. You can easily find all the information on the Osmosis Zone Twitter account. And there should be a link in there to a Link3 page, which is essentially like a Web3 portal that kind of connects your profile. And we have all the links available there. Very easy to discover anything Osmosis side. You can reach out to me directly, whether it's on Twitter or Telegram. And I would just say, do your research, learn a little more about Cosmos, learn about why a lot of these projects want to migrate to Cosmos. This technology is robust. This technology is proven. The IBC feature is key. And IBC, if anyone doesn't know, is not even arguably, it's just the best bridging method that is natively built into the technology. And it makes things incredibly fast, incredibly cheap, and incredibly seamless in the Cosmos ecosystem. Come explore. The community will help you. You post a question on Twitter, you'll get help. If you post a question on Telegram, you'll get help. And if you just want to learn, there are plenty of videos out there as well. Awesome. Aaron, I know this is something I've been asked to ask people because I think a lot of people are looking forward to videos. And I made a point to talking to audience. I'm like, yeah, you can just Google Aaron. He's on a bunch of YouTube videos. You're on this podcast. Are you going to be doing more sort of videos and podcasts in the future, keeping people aware of what's happening in Osmosis? Or is someone else going to take over? Is this sort of the general media plan going forward? As far as podcasts go, it's usually Sunny or myself doing these, whether it's podcasts like this, interviews in person at events. I tend to do a lot of these. Yeah. Nice. Again, like a great way for people to just go to YouTube, look up Osmosis, maybe even look up your name and they can find lots of videos keeping up to date with Osmosis and Cosmos. Yeah, sure. I would definitely recommend going to Twitter. It's much more up to date. Even our okay. blogs page on Osmosis, if you just go to osmosis.zone, we have a blogs page that is pretty up to date and the, the timeline of updates and features that have released as well. I'll make sure to include all of those, not to mention your socials as well. Erin, I really appreciate your time today. It's been awesome. It's been fun. Hopefully we get to do a live episode. Let me know what you thought about what Aaron said. If you have any questions, if you're a little shy, again, I've watched a few of his videos. He's really personable. Really reach out to him. You don't need to talk to me first. If you have questions about Cosmos, about Osmosis, please do it. And uh, let me know. And hopefully we'll try and schedule Aaron sometime next year in person. 